Welcome to the Concerto podcast series. So good afternoon and welcome to the third podcast in this uh, series from Concerto. My name is Justin King and with me today I have fellow partners Stephen Foote and Amory Southall. Hello. Good afternoon, Justin. Hello, Justin. Hello, Stephen. So today we're going to talk about, will I have to work harder? Now we're going to break that down into two areas. We're going to talk, I think, firstly, uh, from a point of view of, of an organisation, so will an organisation have to work harder, but also talk it from the people point of view. So as a person, will I have to work harder? Um, so I'm going to come to you first, Stephen, on this. Uh, and I think what we'll do is we'll start off with productivity. And the question really I want to sort of d- just delve into here is why do we need to increase productivity and what is the impact of agile working on that? Well, thank you for that, um, Justin. Um I think we need to look at the macroeconomic perspective for that, that as a result of the of, of the virus, our debt is going to be the same level as a, as a percentage of GDP as, as that at the end of World War II or worse. Um, we managed to repay that debt at the end of the, the World War by um, 30-something years of unprecedented GDP growth. And as a consequence, the the debt then shrank as a, as a proportion of um, GDP. That's simply not going to happen now because the states of the, of the global markets, we've still got um, Brexit in, in the background and so on. And as a consequence of that, the only way that we can actually then um, rebalance that debt as a share of our, of our GDP, and it is important to do so because we need to be able at least to give the impression we're going to repay the debt, is either through productivity or taxation. And just in case we run away with the idea that we can tax tax the rich and the multinationals, that won't get us anywhere because what will will happen will be that um, the money will just disappear. So when we talk about increase of taxes, we're talking ultimately increases in VAT and almost certainly um, uh, employment taxes as well. Okay, great. Now, so, um, but from the people point of view, Amory, what's your um, opinion on this? It's really interesting, isn't it? Because I'm sure that there are a number of people who would say that uh, certainly over the last few weeks, they've never worked harder. Um, And that's partly kind of as a result of uh, having to work differently and and all change feels like it's harder at first. But even now that we're getting used to it, I think that the... um, I think an enormous amount of people who would say that they they don't think that they can work any harder than they are right now. So is it about actually getting people to work harder or is it, and it sounds a bit trite, but is it really about us getting to work smarter? Um, By that, I mean, uh, can we use technology to help us? Um, And and also there is a growing uh, amount of uh, research that suggests that actually the thing we have to do is focus on our well-being because actually well-being leads to productivity. Um, but just following on from that, so Stephen, is there anything else you'd like to add to that? Well, thank you, Justin. Uh, yes, I think there are a couple of points I'd just like to, to build on, on from what Anne-Marie has, has said. There is unquestionably room for us to improve our productivity and certainly when compared with the other G7 countries. But more than that, I think one of the things that has been coming out increasingly in the course of the last um, three months since we've been in since we've been in lockdown in the UK, is there's a growing sense that um, 
the best and the brightest talent may want may well want to start to see a new relationship with their with their employers. Quite a lot of people have enjoyed spending a fair amount of time working from from home, and a lot of people are also talking about um, the strengthening of their local communities. So we ought to be expecting to see more people to be to be reaching to their em- employers, saying, um, "Yes, I'll come and work for you," but in doing so. I'll work two days a week in your office. I'll work two days a week from home. And I want to spend another day a week working on local community projects, um, i.e. being paid a four-day week by you. And the other thing I think we might well expect is um, a challenge from um, society, from the community, um, about um, what the new compact should be between corporates and, um, and society. And actually then asking corporates, not just what do they contribute by way of profit and cash flow, but what do they deliver in terms of community value, sustainability, and genuine satisfaction to the, to the people who they employ and the neighbourhood in which they operate. Okay, thank you for that, uh, Stephen. That, that's, that's really interesting. So if we, if we look at this, um, uh, and let's break this down, as I said before, we were going to look at this in, in two parts. One was productivity and the other was cultural change. Um, if you look at this in terms of the organizational change and the personal cultures towards working, um, Amory, if I can come to you now, really, and talk about the people side of this again. So, you know, Stephen picked up on the fact that, you know, what kind of organization do I do I want to work for? And that actually also will lead into, you know, organizations looking back on themselves saying, well, what organization do we have to be? For people to come and want to work for us, which I think also leads into that sort of that term that's been floated around at the moment, which is well-being. Um, so, do you want to just take take it from there, Amory? Yeah, sure. Um, thanks, Justin. I mean, I mean, I absolutely agree with uh, with Stephen. I mean, people will definitely want to work flexibly as part of improving their well-being. The whole thing about well-being is that you know there there are some physical things around you know kind of the pace at which people want to work. And, and the hours that they want to work, you know, however else that fits into their, their lives. But then also kind of the kind of organisation you want to work for is crucially important. So, and it's it's incredibly hard to get organisations actually to really understand what that means um, for them as people working within that organisation. So um, just to give an example of that, Let's take the whole area of um, social value. Again, Stephen mentioned that many people want to sort of start to work for organisations that are paying much more attention to how they're paying back into the community and making sure that um, when they're making decisions, they're making them in the context of being able to benefit the local community as well as meet their own bottom line. And if you take that really seriously, then you do start to have to measure properly exactly what you're doing and few organizations actually seem to to do that so i, I know of um, a number of situations where bids have been done uh, people commit to making all kinds of changes that will benefit either the environment um, or perhaps uh, local schools or uh, local charities uh, or other community community working groups and they they do a bit of it and some of them do it on the basis that they can get a nice photo opportunity and have a, a good picture in their uh, in their annual report. Um, but very few actually take it the extra mile and track 
the actual value that they have created as a result of the way that they have chosen to work. And many organizations are finding that the, the people that want to work for them, they're beginning to ask those kind of questions. You know, how do you impact the community? As well as, of course, um, certainly in public procurement situations, it's becoming a, a very important uh, criterion, both in terms of getting uh, to, to win the job in the first place and then to get paid because it becomes a key performance indicator, um, which drives a milestone payment. So all of these things, it's, it's kind of a virtuous circle in many ways. You've got people wanting to work flexibly, wanting to have more say over what they do, to really feel that they are empowered to work in the way that they want to, to work, as well as deciding who they want to work for and making sure that that organisation pays attention to the things that they're all interested in, which is often about paying back to the community. I, and I think it's really key, actually, that, you know, you picked up on a couple of things there. And I think it's about, you know, um, not just, you know, choosing the right organization and the organization choosing the right individual, but also the actual metrics involved in measuring that uh, and going forwards and how you can then demonstrate that to your future employment pool um, uh, as you as you recruit, um, as, as we build out of the, the current situation. Um, but anyway, so if I if I go back to you, Stephen, so so. Where does that sort of leave us, I suppose, in sort of the need for success in this? How does that, what are your views on how, what that might look like? Thank you, Justin. Um, I think I'm going to answer that with a, more with a series of, um, of of questions than actual actual responses directly to to the question you you've put. But I think the challenge for the organisation is going to be around um, establishing that corporate culture that that it that really does promote the working from home versus presenteeism. And that's all about outputs rather than um, inputs. And there are two specific areas in there where um, organisations have got to be very, very careful about how they handle it. One is on the impact on, on middle managers and the role that middle managers have, which historically has spent quite a lot of time actually managing presenteeism and the second one is actually how we as organisations take people into the workforce for the first time. That may be the young graduates that are, that are just joining um, straight, straight, straight from university whose traditional training has been one of direct mentoring. And we've also seen the same thing with people that um, in 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 much later in their career, when they're joining organisations, actually they need to understand something about the organisation's DNA, which is something that has only historically been um, something that they can be able to pick up through um, direct contact with, with people in the organisation. And I think the second challenge and question for us is how to make collaboration work um, we found over the course of the lockdown that the technology is um, the technology works, um, but the challenge has always been and remains whether it reaches the hearts and um, hearts and minds, and that's one about making sure that our organisations that we've got really strong values and we've got a means and a way of being able to share and to reshare them with all of our people. Yeah, that's very interesting, actually. And I, I, I just picking up really there on the on the the ability in this the more agile 
workplace that we're in, in in terms of making collaboration work between organizations, which I think actually is going to be much more difficult than we probably think it's going to be. And we'll, we won't know that, I suppose, until probably in the next sort of maybe six to 12 months time when we go through, for example, when we've had the full cycle of things like bids and et cetera, where you're sharing uh, workloads with other organizations uh, and then trying to align those values, I think, which you're talking about going forwards with, within those two companies for, in a virtual workspace. Um, so look, many thanks indeed for your time today. I just want to end really on just a quick summary from both of you about covering those sort of two major uh, points there. You know, we've, we've covered productivity from the point of view in terms of the organization and how the organization has potentially got to sort of uh, change and move it as, as, as we go forward uh, in, in the post-COVID-19 uh, sort of situation and also how that affects us as people and the way that we look at organizations and organizations look back at us. Um, so, Stephen, if I could just ask you to just, just quickly summarize some of the key points there that you've mentioned today. So I think there's two things. Um, we have a huge gap to, to make up in terms, of the, um, in terms of, of, of the debt. In order to do that, I think we have to use the resources at our disposal, our people, far better than we have done in the past. I think the second thing is the um, the corporate social responsibility that has for a long time been a piece of boilerplate that we have to tick the boxes in. I think that suddenly starts to become mainstream and a critical part of our organisational DNA. I think you're you're right. I think that CSR element, very similar to sort of, for example, how say crisis management and business continuity uh, has now potentially um, been uh, elevated within an organisation in terms of responsibility and where that sits. Um, and Amory, just coming back to you, just a, a quick summary of some of the points you've made. Yeah, I think um, there is definitely a kind of a growing demand for people wanting to work in organisations that serve the interests of everyone of the people impacted by whatever they do, whether that's Kind of local communities, um, customers, other employees, people in the supply chain, and I think it's, it's really interesting because if if you take that as a as a given, then everyone has to be really aligned with what the organisational goal is and what they have to do. Which means that we have to understand more about each other and the people that we're working with. Which boils down to we have to listen to each other, really listen and understand the things that people are interested in, and then we can all align and uh, work well together. Stephen, many thanks indeed for your time today. Thank you, Justin. And Amory, also many, many thanks indeed for your time as well. Yeah, thanks, Justin. So thank you very much indeed for listening. That's um, uh, Stephen Foote and Amory uh, Southall, uh, both partners at Concerta Partners uh, in, based in London. Uh, and you've been listening to me, Justin King, uh, also another partner at uh, Concerto. Many thanks for listening to the Concerto Podcast. Please keep an eye out for further episodes. And if you'd like to get in touch with me directly, my name is Justin King, so please send me an email at j.king at concerto.uk.com. Or if you'd like to find out more information about Concerto, please head to our website, which is www.concerto.uk.com. Many thanks.